Good morning, Faith Bible Church. Happy Easter. Our scripture reading this morning will be taken from 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 12 to 22. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 22. And when you find your place, please stand for the reading of God's word. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 22. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as an Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your glory. Lord, we thank you for the resurrection, Lord. Our great hope, Father. Father, I pray that we would understand what this hope is. Lord, that our lives would be transformed by the hope of the resurrection. Lord, that we would live lives not to be pitied, Lord, but to be envied. Father, all for your glory and the good of your church. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. title of my sermon is Keep Your Eyes on the Resurrection. Keep your eyes on the resurrection to live a life not to be pitied, but to be envied. And this morning, my pathway through this text will be, why would you take your eyes off the gospel? Why would you take your eyes off the gospel? The illogical... Uh, reasoning to take your eyes off the gospel. And point number three, uh, the power of the resurrection. So um, one of my favorite missionary stories uh, is a story of these Bible translators that went into some remote jungle. I don't know where, I don't remember, but they were translators and they went to a, a village, chief, tribe, and they wanted to translate the book of Matthew. And in doing the translation of Matthew, they thought, oh, we'll skip uh, chapter one because it's just genealogy. And genealogy is not going to do anything for anybody. So they begin with chapter two and they get two, three, four done. They give it to the chief and oh, they're like, this is good. Get through the rest of Matthew. It's hard work translating the scripture. And they get all the way to the end and the chief and the tribe uh, they embrace what was written, but they embrace it in a way that they only add it to their other gods. It's, it's nothing that's changing their life. And it's one more God in the plethora of gods that they already worship. And so the translators, the missionaries are, are very discouraged and <clears throat> they see there's no fruit coming about from their translating work. And they said, well, let's just finish chapter one and we'll, we'll give them the full of Matthew and, and we'll be done. And so they translate the chapter one of Matthew, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. They give it to the chief. The chief reads it. 
And he looks up and he's like, this is real? These are real people? This isn't some mythology? This isn't some story of your gods? This, this really happened? So the chief was able to receive the gospel because it wasn't some story of some distant God and some uh, story being played out. It hit him. It, this is real. And sometimes I wonder if our Christian lives are languishing because we think of the resurrection as something that's kind of out there and ethereal and we don't quite understand it. And so we don't live to the fullest of the potential of our Christian lives. And so here in this uh, chapter 15 of First uh, Corinthians, uh, my point one, why would you take your eyes off the resurrection? Paul starts off in 15 uh, verses 1 through 11. He's, he's going back through the gospel. He's going back to what he said he taught them. In, in verse 1 he says, Now I made known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received. I came to you guys. I came to Corinth. I preached the gospel to you. I left nothing out. And you received it. You believed in it. You embraced it. And he says, you received it in which you also stand. You guys became a church because of the gospel. The gospel birthed you guys. And he says, it's, it is also by which you are saved. And then he seems to start to probe here. If you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. And he goes through and he says, I preached the gospel. I preached uh, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Um, I preached uh, his life, his, his excellent life, and then his going to the cross and bearing the sins of the world. And then three days later, he rises from the grave. This is the Christian hope. This is our hope that through faith in Jesus Christ and his resurrection, we too will join him in the resurrection. We too will be with him forever. But there are some in Corinth, at verse 12, it says, Now if Christ is preached that he's been raised from the dead, how does some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? So apparently in Corinth, there was a group of people who were starting now to deny the resurrection. They were starting to say there is no resurrection. And I think it's, it's worth our time to stop and ask, why would somebody be saying that? Especially if you belong to a church. Like, why would you say now there's no resurrection? Because that is ultimately the great hope. We love Good Friday, and Good Friday paid for our sins, and it justified us. But that justification leads to life beyond just avoiding hell. The resurrection promises life everlasting, always in our body. So why would you give that hope up? And so we, I, I ponder here and I wonder why would the Corinthians start to say there is no resurrection? Why would we deny the resurrection? Well, some say that it could be from the Greek influence, um, a belief of the immortality of the soul, that uh, in death the body, because it's made of parts, is destroyed forever. And the only thing that remains is the soul. The soul is immortal and will go on living forever. Um, that could be it. Uh, Corinth is right in Greek territory. Um, it's, it was a Greek town before the Romans took it over. 
And so there is that Greek influence. And that may be the, the philosophical or intellectual argument that is pushing these people to say, doubt or start to doubt the resurrection. But it could be also it was Corinth itself. Corinth was a very prosperous Roman city. It sat in a position, it had two harbors, and it had uh, access north and south, and they had access east and west. So high trade movement moving through Corinth. Lots of wealth, um, uh, entrepreneurialism, people uh, starting businesses, making money. It was just, it was, the Isthmus Games were there, held every two years. It brought in visitors, huge amounts of people every two years. It was a cosmopolitan, bustling city. It was much like the environment we live in today. And so, could it be that maybe it wasn't just the intellectual argument of the immortality of the soul and the destruction of the body? Could it be that it was simply just what Corinth held out? Corinth held out life now. Corinth held out pleasures now. Just like in our culture, in our society today, it holds out to us uh, drawing us in with the promises of pleasure and wealth and delights now. Could it be that the Greek influence, the, the argument of the immortality soul was simply just an excuse because what they really wanted was to embrace Corinthian lifestyle. They really wanted to have their cake and eat it too. So you'd deny the gospel. There's not going to be a resurrection. Our bodies aren't going to live forever. And what, what happens when you start to think in terms of the future that you're not going to have a body anymore? Well, you better get living up your life now, right? You better start drinking it in now, right? Because you just get a few more years and then we're just a, a wispy a spirit floating around in the sky and floating on an angel. That doesn't sound too fun, does it? holding out for the promises of heaven to sit on a cloud and strum a harp. Capital B, boring, right? I, I, I'm not living for that. I'm not, I'm not enduring the sufferings of Christianity for that. That doesn't inspire me. I'm a human. And to be human is to be a soul with a body. That's what intrigues me. That's what revs me up. I want life always in a body because I'm human. God made me that way. And that's what the promise of the resurrection holds out. The resurrection of our bodies, not just Christ's body. It's our bodies. Life forever is always going to be for us who trust in Jesus Christ, physical. It will always be in a body. So, I submit to you that uh, these people in Corinth, and I've seen this, I've been walking with the Lord for nearly 25 years. Um, it's not intellectual arguments that turn people from Christ. I think it's the excuse. Because nobody's going to say, I'm walking away from Christianity because there's a life to be had and I don't want to give it up. There's pleasures to be had and I don't want to forsake them. There's wealth to be made. There's people to be had. Nobody says that. That's disgraceful, right? But we say, well, you know, there's this philosophy here, and I'm just an intellectual. I'm so smart. And so, no, ultimately, at the end of the day, it's not these intellectual arguments. It's because of sin. 
It's because we want to drink it in. It's what it comes down to. And so, I wonder if today uh, the same thing happens to, to us. No, we don't voice that there's not a resurrection, but do we live like there's not a resurrection? Do we live like um, we don't believe it's coming, like we're just, we're just trying to get everything we can now, and so we look just like the world? We're, we're going, we're, all of our priorities, all of our values kind of mirror the world. We're, we're denying the resurrection because we've we got to get the big house. We've got to get that position. I've got to reach this status level. I've got to prove what a, a great man I am. Are we living for that gospel message of resurrection? Keep your eyes on the resurrection to live lives that are to be envied, not pitied. Not pitied. And you can see the dangers of it. Down in verse 33, 33 Paul is, as he fights this, this heresy, he says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning. See, there it is. These people are bringing in the heresy of non-resurrection. They're, they're taking the hope out of the gospel. They're taking it out. They're separating it. And what's, it, what's its effect on the Corinthian church? They're falling into sin. Their hope is being taken away. And when your hope is taken away, what do you want to do? You want to go and gain pleasure. And they fall into sin. And so he says, For some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. And so the problem is, is devastating to the hope we have. It destroys our lives as Christians, the full potential of living to uh, the glory of God as a Christian. Robs us of our joy, robs us of our hope. And so what does Paul do to counter this, this false teaching? How does he attack it? Well, point two, he goes to show them there is no gospel without the resurrection. It's illogical to say there is no resurrection in the gospel. And so he begins, verse 13, track with me here. Look at verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. So if you guys want to argue there's no resurrection, you want to follow this, this, this immortality, the soul and the body's destroyed, then Jesus Christ was even raised. And if Jesus Christ wasn't raised, hasn't been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith also is in vain. Look, if, if God did not raise Jesus Christ, then Jesus Christ was a false Messiah. His life wasn't enough to pay for your sin. See, this is the dangers of denying the resurrection. You deny the Savior. You deny the, the one who was to save you. Because the vindication of Jesus Christ comes through his resurrection. On Good Friday, the Son vindicated the Father, right? The Father is now allowed to call us just, and he remains just. And now the Son is vindicated because his life was acceptable to the Father. His life was perfectly lived in obedience. And through that righteousness, he, the Father raises the Son. But if you say there is no resurrection then his life was not acceptable. He was not the Messiah. And even worse than that, uh, our preaching, all this that we do, all this work, 
in evangelizing and in witnessing our efforts, our hope, our sacrifice in living as Christians has been an utter waste of time. Your Christianity has been an utter waste of time if you deny the resurrection. See, it is absolutely illogical to deny the resurrection because that is the great hope of the Christian faith. Your faith is in vain. It's as though as you were, um, all is lost. You're like a capsized boat out in the middle of the ocean with no land in sight. All hope is lost if there's no resurrection. The resurrection is our hope. This is what Paul talks about in Philippians uh, 3.8. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it for you. But what drove the apostle Paul? What drove him? What caused him to be probably the greatest Christian that ever lived? Let me read it for you. Philippians 3.8. More than that, this is Paul. He's talking about, I threw away everything to be a Christian. I threw away my, my, my uh, legacy, my work as a, as a Pharisee, my, everything I had built up, I threw it away. And I don't care because he says, I gained Christ. And he says, more than that, I count all things law to be of loss in view of surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I, but I count them rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ and the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul's throwing everything away so that he may know the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. What motivated Paul, what drove Paul was the resurrection. It was the hope. It's the end of the gospel. He wanted resurrection life as a man in a body. That's what drove him. He wasn't taking any risk of losing that. I throw everything away. I brace Christ. I hope in Christ that I may maintain or attain to this resurrection. And brothers and sisters, that must be our hope too. What are we hoping in? If we're not hoping in a resurrection, what are we hoping in? If we're not living for the life to come, this life is but a two-second slice. Eternity is forever. How do you want to spend eternity? How do you want to live it? Paul was taking no chances. And then follow with me, continue. Verse 15, um, not only is your life not only is your faith pointless in, in preaching, all this I'm doing right now is pointless if there's no resurrection, but it's dangerous. We now become false witnesses of God in opposition to God. We're not his friends anymore. We're, we're saying that God raised this guy, Jesus, who claimed to be the Messiah, and when he, in fact, he wasn't raised. Now, now we're putting our, pitting ourselves against God. This is the illogical Reason of saying there is no, no resurrection. And then verse 16, 17, it just keeps spiraling down. He says, not only that, you are still in your sins. All of your lies and murders and thefts and fornications, they still cling to you. They're still on your shoulders if there's no resurrection. No sin has been paid for. No debt has been covered. It still remains on your shoulders. It still remains on your account. Uh, 
It still is on the ledger of your life when you stand before God. If Christ did not raise from the dead. The resurrection is so important to our gospel, Christians. It is the key. It is the hope. It is what determines the righteousness and the the goodness of Christ's work. Judgment awaits if we're still in our sins and guilt and shame will be our future, not glory and peace. And he continues on, verse 18, those who have gone before us have even perished. Loved ones that we had who hoped in the, who hoped in the gospel, who hoped in Christ, they've perished. They're not with God. They're, they're in eternal conscious separation from God. This is, this is just spiraling down. This is becoming, uh, this is becoming a, a tragedy if there is no resurrection. The resurrection is so important to all of this. There, they will awake to no new dawn. There is no life if there is no resurrection. And then verse, seven, verse 19, the final conclusion of this argument. If there is no resurrection, then we are most to be pitied. If there is no resurrection and you've lived your whole life as a Christian, can you say that you, your life, is most to be pitied? Think about your Christian life. Can you say and agree with Paul here, if there's no resurrection, your life is most to be pitied? And my great fear is in the church in America, a lot of people can't say it is. Because Christianity worked out great for them. Christianity gave you a framework that kept you safe, that gave you a life of safety. It gave you a life of, it gave you a social life. You can say, Andre, I don't know. Like, this worked out pretty good for me. Like, I met a lot of business contacts through church. We made a lot of money along the way. Like, I mean, I guess if we don't rise from the dead, oh, well, I mean, we had a good run. Brothers and sisters, if that's your Christianity, I fear for you. What does Paul say? What is Paul going to do? He says in uh, verses 30 to 32, this is life as a Christian. Why are we also in danger every hour? Living as a Christian back in the first century was a dangerous deal. You had enemies that were... Back in those days, they really killed you. And honestly, brothers and sisters, it's happening today. It, we, we live in a, a bubble in the Christian world over in Indonesia and China and all these other foreign The Christians are being killed every day for their faith. And we, we, we sit in comfort. We sit in this world that it's, it's, it's gain to be Christian. But Paul says, why do we... Why are we also in danger every hour? I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, I die daily. Christianity was costing Paul his life. He dies daily for the ministry of the cross. 
As, as his ministry of, of planting churches, witnessing to churches, he's losing his life. And he says, not only that, if from human motives I fought with wild at Ephesus, what was my profit? Like, what was I to gain out of that? At least, you know, when you go into business, you want to make profit, right? If you don't make profit, it's, it's pointless. Paul's like, I'm, I'm having to face down wild beasts, and for what? If there's no resurrection, why do I do this? It's absolutely illogical to say there's no resurrection and continue on and try to be Christian. What is the point? Because if that's the reality, brothers and sisters, we might as well, as he says here in 31, or 32, I'm sorry, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If this, if there is no resurrection, then we as Christians following the Lord, following, bearing our cross, denying ourselves, if there's just death after this, let us just eat, drink, and die. Because that is what we logically should do if there is nothing after this. Or maybe you're here, maybe I've been speaking to Christians, but maybe you're here, uh, you're not a Christian. You've been brought in, it's Easter, you've come with family, and you don't know the Lord. You don't even know what I'm talking about when I talk about sin and resurrection and, and all this stuff. But you've been living life in this world as one who drinks it down. You've drunk up life with your hobbies, your work, leisure, wealth, drugs, sex, food, and drink. You've had it all. And now you're sitting here and you feel empty. Because you expected it to fill you up with joy. You expected it to give you the life that you think is worth living. And at the end of it, after you've drunk it all up, you're just like, this is it? This is life? This is all there is to it? Food, sex, drink? It's not enough. And I know you're, you're right. It's not enough. It will never satisfy you. And so is there a way out? Is there a way out of this This. This nominal Christianity that doesn't live for the, for the resurrection. And is there a way out for you who do not believe in God, who are not saved today? You're not Christian, you're not fallen, but your life is a wreck because you've drunk down this world. Is there a way out? And yes, I can say to you, there is a way out. The way out is Christ has risen. Point number three, the present power of the resurrection In verse 20, follow back with me, verse 20. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. So Christ has risen. Paul calls them the first fruits of those who fall asleep. How certain is it that there's going to be a resurrection? <laughs> Did Jesus Christ rise? Yeah. So we who follow Christ, if he's the first fruits, I like to grow cherries. I have a little cherry orchard. And one of my favorite things on the cherry orchard is when the first cherries on the trees start to ripen, they're the tastiest cherries. And I eat them and I look at the rest of the tree and it's full of still kind of yellow, greenish cherries. But I know from after tasting those, there's a harvest coming and all those cherries are going to be ripe. It's the same thing with us. Christ, were the, Christ was those first ripe fruits. He is the first of the harvest. And how certain is it going to happen? Look at this. For since by a man came death, by a, <clears throat> for since a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. So now he's talking about Adam. 
right? We're born to die, right? And why are we born to die? Because Adam's, we were born in Adam. Everything about Adam is us. His nature, his, his, uh, the despair of life in Adam, the hopelessness in Adam, the certainty of death coming in Adam, that's our life. There is no hope if you are in Adam and you don't come out of Adam. And through Adam, we would know without a doubt we're going to die. Without a doubt we're going to die. But, but here Paul compares them to Adam. He says, For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. So through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ went to the cross and bore the wrath of God for you and I for our sins. We could never pay for our sins, but Jesus Christ went to that cross, bore the wrath of God. God's wrath is completely satisfied upon our sins. He's not angry at us anymore. In fact, he'll never recall our sins on us ever again. Christ took that from us. And now Christ offers out to you, unbeliever. He offers out to you peace. He says, believe in me. Just simply trust in me. And you will have life. You will be brought into me. Your union with Adam is, is severed. And now union in me is what salvation is. And just like death was coming because you were in union with Adam, life is coming because you're in union with Christ. It's impossible for you not to rise if you are in Christ. It is the natural effects of, being, of having life in Christ. So, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is present power in our lives. He is the first fruits. And it's because he's brought us into union with him through his finished work and faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way anybody gets saved, brothers and sisters, is simply trusting Jesus Christ. Taking him at his word. That's what the gospel is. He says, if you believe in me, you have eternal life. He did the work. You simply trust in him now and follow him. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And no more debt, no more shame, no more life of despair. Look what he says in 1 Peter 1.3. God caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God caused us to be born again. And in that rebirth, we see the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in that seeing the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is the great hope of our lives that powers our faithful living unto the Lord. We have born, been born again to a great hope, the hope of resurrection. It's a living hope. It's a hope that endures it cannot be destroyed. It perseveres because it's alive. And it's alive because Jesus Christ is alive right now in heaven. What's Jesus Christ doing in heaven right now? How does he look in heaven right now? Right now, a man, a man, body, sits on the throne in heaven. 
Jesus Christ, the God-man, sits on a throne in heaven and he's living to make intercession for you and I. As the enemy comes and attacks and accuses us, oh, you see there, he, he did that again. He did it again. And Jesus says, away. I've covered it. He's mine. He's making intercession for us right now. This is resurrection hope. Don't take your eyes off the resurrection. It gives us a living hope. The resurrection takes away the fear of death. And it gives us the power to walk in the newness of life. Look at, you don't have to turn there. Romans 6, 4. Therefore, Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. In union in Christ, we died 2,000 years ago on that cross with Christ because of union in Christ. But Christ was resurrected through the Father, and so now we walk in the newness of the resurrected life. It is the power that reigns in us to live lives of newness, of power. Again, he says, 613. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of righteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Present yourselves as alive from the dead because you are alive from the dead in Christ through resurrection. And then I just want to read to you the last bit. Verse 20 through 23 of Romans 6. He says, For when you were slaves of sin, before the power of the resurrection reigned in your life, righteousness, therefore what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome Eternal life. Eternal life. So how is eternal life going to look? Are we just going to be angels floating on a cloud, (laughs) strumming a harp? Not at all. Not at all. Christ returns. All things are going to be made new. The earth will be reconstituted, regenerated, made new. We will live, and on our resurrection, all of the Christians who lived in the past, who've been buried, who've been lost at sea, who've been burned up, all of them when Christ returns will be raised up. Their body will be reconstituted, reformed in a resurrected body, glorified forever. And we will live on earth forever. Our final destination is home. It's here on earth. But God will be here with us. He comes down from heaven. Heaven and earth meet. The resurrection hope is that we forever, in a glorified body, live with God forever on earth as human beings. Not as angels wisping around on clouds. No wonder the church has has not lived up to its potential. That's the hope. No, not at all. Not at all. There's a new heaven and a new earth coming. It says in Colossians 3, 4, when Christ who is our life is revealed, when he returns, 
then you also will be revealed with him in glory. When he returns in his glorified, resurrected body, and we are resurrected in our glorified body, then it's going to be revealed who we are. Right now, we live in these frail, uh, diseased, sin-infested bodies. This is not who we are. We are sons of God. You are daughters of God. You are literally the children of God. How glorious do you think you're going to be in the resurrection? There's not going to be any more weakness, no more deformities, no, no more anything. You are going to be so glorious. And you know who your big brother is? Jesus Christ. How glorious is Jesus Christ going to be? And you're going to be right there with him. No more old age, no more weakness, no more uh, dishonor, but all glory. Look what he's, you will be revealed for who you are. We won't just be with him, but we will be like him. That's what the resurrection hope is. We're going to be like Jesus Christ. And it says that we will be with him in glory. What glory? His glory. His glory is given to us. And then you're thinking to me, oh, heresy, God does not share his glory with another. Well, if you look at that verse, it's, he doesn't share his glory with idols, but with his children, he shares his glory. What other glory could we be in? Our glory? No, it's Christ's glory. Christ gives his glory to us because we are his sons. We are his daughters. There is a life coming, brothers and sisters, that this little two-second slice it won't even be worth to be compared to what the glory is that's coming in the resurrection. This is the hope of the gospel. And I know so many of you stay at Good Friday. So many of you just sit at the cross and, and I'm saved, I'm justified. Yes, and that's sweet and precious and that's where we start. But because of the resurrection, we don't, we don't just stay there. We move on. The resurrection empowers us to live lives now uh, to the glory of God in the gospel. It's like uh, an illustration of it is, is, it's like when the Titanic went down and had all those lifeboats going around and, and they picked up the survivors out of the ocean. What, what did the survivors do once they get into the lifeboat? They became, they became the search crew. <laughs> and that's what we do when God saves us. We become part of the team and we go on to live like Paul and all the greats and missionaries and people in Christian. And we can become part of the story. The gospel is completely and totally transforming and gives us life. And so I just want to leave you this morning. The resurrection. Keep your eyes on it. It is the sustaining hope that will give you a life worthy of living. I want to say, keep your eyes on the resurrection, on the resurrection. Don't miss out on the life to come. Don't miss it. Young women, maybe you don't know the Lord. Don't miss out on the resurrection because you want to sleep with your boyfriend. Don't miss out on it for little tidbits of pleasure. Don't give it up. Young men, forsake the pornography that's on the computer. Throw it away. Don't let that 
steal the glory that's coming from you. You can do it through the hope of resurrection. There are pleasures at his right hand that make sex and drugs and all these things taste like cardboard. Don't throw it away for that. Middle-aged men, stop trying to make a name for yourself. Quit chasing fame and success and fortune. Give your life to the gospel. Live your life for the glory of God and then your joy will be complete. Then your satisfaction will be full in him. Money won't satisfy you. Success won't. Somebody giving you applause, it won't. It goes away in 10 seconds. Live for, the, live for the glory of the Father. And you who have taken your sights off of the resurrection and Christianity has just become a framework of wisdom and proverbs. Because what wisdom and Proverbs and that framework does is just giving you a safe place to hide. It's allowed you to hide inside of a system instead of embracing life and living for the glory of God. Forsake the nominal Christianity. Look to the resurrection to live lives that are not to be pitied. Christians' lives will not be pitied, but will be envied of the glory that is to come. Father, thank you for the resurrection. Christ, thank you for the work that you've done. Thank you for this salvific story, Father, that glorifies you and the Son and the work and your wisdom. Lord, and it doesn't just save us, but Lord, you brought us into it. You've made us part of the story. You've given us a life and a hope. Father, thank you. All glory and honor belong to you for this great, wonderful, wonderful work. Amen.